I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run Hip Hop by the Numbers on Twitter. I use Hip Hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Minute, well, highlight Fifth Minute Hip Hop, which is knowledge. Today. I'm on it today. I'm on it today. Wow. Speechless. Okay. He's speechless, ladies and gentlemen. That was really you I I am. That was amazing. That <laughs> I I I am shocked. Well well played. Thank you. Hi Ben. How's your week been? What have you been listening to this week? It's been uplifted after that that soulful performance from you. So thank you for that. It's a Monday morning. <laughs> I feel good. Uh, so I listened to quite a few projects this week Zarface and MF Doom Super Wart which is MF Doom's first posthumous release uh, I don't think Doom has sounded this consistently good on a project since Mouse in the Mask I swear man like uh, he's only on 16.1% of the vocals on here he has no production credits there are 3 tracks on here he doesn't have vocals on I think there's only 10 tracks on the album but every time he pops up he steals his show so badly I think this project is way better than the original I think it's shorter and more focused. I think the production is better. I think the whole package delivers a more promising and exciting aesthetic. They really leaned into the supervillain theme, which they did on the first, but I think this time they chose better samples and they were just more fun. The samples were more fun. It was just, you know, when you're doing these kind of projects and and the skits and the samples are really driving the narrative, then you've got to get them all right. And that's one quality that MF Doom always had across his whole career. He got the skits and the samples right every single time. And they did it on this project. And, you know, I wish Doom was on more of it, you know, but as everyone else has said, this is how Doom collaborates. A lot of the time he's not on a lot of it, but his name's on the project. So it made me sad uh, to hear him again and to know that this was recorded in probably 2020, 2019. Um... It made me sad. It made me sad, but it, it's a great project. Uh, T Grizzly, built for whatever. You know why I love T Grizzly? Okay, so he kind of just levitates above his contemporaries. You know, he has this inherent confidence every single time he hops on a microphone. It just shows with the quality he drops. He always drops quality. I didn't like his project last year as much, but then I was listening back to it, and I was like, actually, this is really good. I just have really high expectations for T Grizzly. His storytelling is one of his most underrated traits. You know, he might just drop one or two bars and it just depicts something really vividly, like a meeting or a disagreement or a business deal. He throws in these one-liners and they just give you this like really sharp image in your head of, of what he's talking about. And I'm always excited to hear his music and this did not disappoint. Uh, I felt like it's a touch too long. They probably could have cut what we on. I didn't really like that track as much, but outside of that, it's a great project, and, and T Grizzly continues to drop good music. Quando Rondo is still taking risks. Now, I was listening back to an old episode a few weeks ago, and I was really mean to Quando Rondo. I really, and I'm not sure if it's because he has improved or I've just changed my opinion or I was just in a shitty mood that day, which is highly likely, but I really love this album. 
It's really dark, really dense content. It's emotional, but it's really defiant. You know, Quando Rondo kind of holds court and he just spits venom. He's been at the center of a lot going on lately, and this album felt like a statement of intent that he won't be held down or held back. And on top of that, he's describing the emotions he's been going through in a really evocative way. It's a powerful listen. And I apologize to you, Quando Rondo, for my earlier uh, negative review. I don't know what I was on that day. I don't know, man. I went back and listened to that project. I'm like, this is really good. So I don't know what I was on that day. Uh, Larange and Namia Blade imagine everything. I just love Larange's production. Uh, you know, he he melds these standard warm underground production with like lo-fi, truly lo-fi electronic moments. I Can Change sounds like a Moby song. I actually had to double check to make sure that he wasn't sampling Moby on that song. Shotgun sounds like it could have been on the Love Below. You know, it's the rapping from Nami Blade is is perfectly paired too. You know, he follows the production into whatever territory it goes. Uh, that was no more obvious than Point to Point with Quelle Chris because both he and, and Nami scaled that really dark beat really, really well. And I've been waiting for a Larange. Larange? I think I'm saying his name correctly. L Orange project for a while and this uh <laughs> this uh, hey man five years ago that's how i would have said it you know because i was i was a little bit uncouth back in the day but yeah man this this project lived up to that hype uh night lavelle just say you don't care this reminds me of early shabazz palaces or even uh space goes perp in like 2012 you know night lavelle gets left behind in the mix a little bit on here uh, but I think that's entirely intentional. You know, the breakout track, which is bottom top, it sounds like he's playing hide and seek with the hi-hat. It's really fucking cool. Like, the effect it creates is so dynamic. And the vocals really meld with the instrumentals. And it creates, like, this plateau of sound, right? So it sounds like it's all on the same frequency. And it drags you in because it's like a wall of sound. His voice melds into the wall of sound and it's very very cool i really like it i've been listening to this over and over again i just put it on at night and just keep it on repeat it's just a really immersive listen finally uh cut him reese cut that boy this guy has only been rapping for 12 months and this is really good he's already got little dirk fredo bang jack boy and chief keith on this album and he matches them on every song the energy that he has is great it's palpable he sounds really engaged and he drags you into the frenetic pace of, of the album. And I enjoyed it a lot. It's a really good drop. So that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm going to a couple of projects. Uh, about four this week. Uh, started off with that Zar Face MF Doom Super Wet. Um, I really just enjoy uh, Zar Face overall. Um, I've listened to not all of the, all their projects, but you know, a few. And uh, I just enjoyed the skits they do. Um, I, I just love the comic book nature of it. It's just it's just wonderful. Um, and yeah, man, Doom obviously is uh, very used very sparingly on this uh, particular project. But you know, it's when he's there, he's there, and this and this, you know, it's, um, it's uh, depressingly good in that way. In that case, and uh, yeah, man, it's just a super solid project. About twenty five minutes, can't complain. So solid stuff all around. Uh, shout out to Inspe- Inspector Deck as well. Uh, Lorange, Namir Blade, Imagine everything, Imaginary Everything. Um, uh, d- you didn't listen to Marlowe too, did you? Uh, no. You should listen to Marlowe too, bruv. Okay. Now, now that Lorange production, woo! Woo! Okay. Woo! Woo! Him, him and Salem Brigham um, uh, absolutely just go off. Um, which kind of makes, which kind of uh, 
uh, makes up my thought towards this particular album where, um, you know, Laurent is pretty good on this. Uh, I wouldn't say production-wise, I prefer production-wise the Marlowe projects uh, for him. Uh, but these, these, this production's, you know, super solid, really enjoy it. Uh, won't, uh, you know, put any, uh, uh, put any negatives on it. Um, Namir Blade, it's the first time I've actually listened to him, uh, listened to him before. And uh, I do like his style. Um, my only criticism towards this particular album is just the hooks. Like, some of these hooks, mm, just, just don't really hit it for me. Uh, you know, some of the, some of the, most of the, uh, the, 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 the verses themselves and the features go hard as well. Um, you know, stylistically is very, you know, he molds in very well, as echoing what you said. Uh, but some of them, some of the hooks just really, I don't know, just, uh, took me out of it, uh, some of the time. So, yeah, you know, apart from that, solid project, can't complain. Uh, Khan, back with another one, uh, Kaizen. I really enjoy this project, actually. I, I really, I really love what Khan's doing on this one. Um. I forget what the concept of Kaizen is in terms of the meaning of it. Um, it's in the first track where like a dude explains it, but it's good features on here. Locksmith, Blue, Afro, uh, R.A. Rugged Man. Um, there's some great stuff on here and uh, just really overall, just really just great, uh, just overall vibe. Like the production of it, the calmness of, of Khan a lot of, a lot of the time. He just skates on them. He's just floating on these bees. It's so nice. And uh, speaking of floating, uh, last one, Carlos Nino and Friends, More Energy Fields Current. Um, this is one of those things where, like, uh, you know, it's jazz, right? But um, there's there's clearly just a... Um, I don't know what you call the music you sleep to, Ben, but it's kind of like that, but just, like, with things going on. <laughs> like if, you, if you look at the album cover, it's literally just waves crashing, and that kind of sets the tone of what this uh, particular project is like there's a lot of like you know water just whooshing in the background and there's like these little instrumentations going on uh, it's just very you know free form and I really like it um, it's, it's super chill a perfect thing to have in the background uh, while you're working or something like that it's just real nice it's just a really really calm listen and yeah man shout out to Carlos Nino man because uh, I listen I remember listening to Chicago Waves last year and that was obviously um that was like a, a live recording, um, and uh, I forgot I forgot who did it with him. But yeah, it was that was a live recording, and this one seems a bit more uh, obviously just less improvised. But uh, yeah, the overall tone of it is just absolutely wonderful. Just waves, just whoosh, whoosh, and then just like some stuff in the foreground. It's wonderful, wonderful, chill jazz. Um, and with that said, we shall hop in. Ten, about ten minutes. Shit. All right, this is. We're getting, we're getting into it right already. Yeah. Uh, we are starting. Uh, we we are doing a uh, retrospective on Fuji's. Um, I am just. I, I I want. I'm I'm prepared to be. I I am this guy, right? I am this guy that actually enjoys both albums. Unlike you people that think the score is the only worthy album of listening here. Um, I, nobody talks about Blind on Reality, and that just annoys me. Um, I'm not saying it's as good as the score, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it um, as, as to my reasoning for it. But um, yeah, man, I just love this. You know, obviously, it's two projects, and you know, it's a, it's, it's very storied history, um, especially on Lauren's side. Um, but you know, in that, in just the work, there's some really just great stuff here. Um, like the 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 just the overall nature of this group. Um, comes across to me as like a uh, like a neo uh, a neo native tongues like and 
you know, uh, uh, and and just I don't know, just like a a, a different flavor towards uh, 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 extending from that, where you know, the native tongues had like the Afri- Afro Afro uh, Pan African kind of vibe going on. You know, this one, this group was more obviously uh, uh, linking to Caribbean roots. Obviously, uh, Praz is uh, isn't he a politician somewhere right now? Um, I swear, like he's uh, oh, I, don't, yeah, I, I, forgot, I forgot what post he is at, but uh, yeah, I swear he's like a politician now. And uh, obviously, Wyclef uh, has uh, been a uh, very deep rooted in uh, in his Caribbean roots uh, with his uh, solo work. Um, and yeah, I just enjoy that side of it overall. And uh, I don't know, man. I just I just really like the work all all throughout. And uh, uh, I, I I do wish you know there was more. Uh, to past past these two albums, obviously there's a few Lucy's here and there scattered across the internet, um, but it's nothing to scream home about. But yeah, man, I I I just love this group, um, just musically, and uh, I really wish there was just more to more to them. I feel like the score come not to you know get head of head of the game here, but like you know I feel like the score was just like only the beginning, really, in like a creative boom that could have happened for these guys but um you know and then things happened which we'll obviously get into but yeah man i'm looking forward to this one all that to say i'm excited for this one to be honest so uh with that said ben what have you got for us today okay well the dynamic that you and i are going to have on this is going to be interesting because i'm not going to talk heaps about the music because there is a lot of story behind everything and i'm pretty sure charlie knows the music you know back to front so I don't want this this episode to become a Lauren Hill retrospective part two because you know that could easily happen because she skates on every single Fuji song ever released. Mm-hmm. She was untouchable on the score, and I I worry that Praz and Wyclef get left out too much, which is crazy considering their skill level. But Lauren is a one off artist, so Lauren met Praz at high school in New Jersey. And they formed a trio with their friend Marcy Hariel called Time. Now, Marcy actually became an actress and she won Tony Awards. She became incredibly successful. Now, Praz and Wyclef Jean are cousins. So Praz had actually already attempted to collaborate with Wyclef by playing a trumpet for Wyclef's father's band at his church. Wyclef in the video, man. The video there is explaining the way Praz played the trumpet is hilarious. He's just like, he could not play the trumpet so uh the trumpet's hard man to, to, to shoot prize a little bit of uh yeah i mean i try to play the trumpet it's bloody awful i hate the trumpet you gotta open the spit valve i'm really glad he decided to to rap so anyway one day prize calls up wyclef and tells him to get down to the studio because time was recording and, and lauren and marcy were dropping some great some great music and wyclef said when he saw lauren he says i couldn't believe my eyes she was in the vocal booth, and when she came through the door to say hello, I experienced that feeling when everything stops for a second. It's a moment I'll never forget. Now, that kind of sets up that what happens after this in the end, but like, this is a weird bit. So, Wyclef said he was writing her rhymes and coaching her, and she was a prodigious talent, and he said she was spitting the bars back with insane skill. But Lauren said she used to write poems, and Praz and Wyclef encouraged her to turn her poems into rhymes which she said she said were whack at first, but they improved as she kept working on them at the behest of her groupmates. Now they began, so I don't know with the whole Wyclef writing bars for Lauren. Lauren seemed to gloss over that in her interview. She kind of claimed that she that, that wasn't the case, so I don't know what's going on there. But they began going by the name Translator Crew, 
And at first, it was an actual band. They had Johnny Wise on drums, they had Jerry on bass, they had Leon as a DJ, and they recorded a few demos and tried to build up a bit of buzz. And it was Chris Swartz, who was a co-founder of Rough House. He went and saw them play. Now, I dislike this passage, but I'll read it out anyway. This is Chris Swartz. Well, we signed the Fugees because they were different. I was so bored of live hip-hop shows at that point. When we went to see them, they were a mess. There were like seven or eight kids performing. I don't even remember Lauren Hill from the audition. Wyclef was like the de facto leader of the group. He had a beatbox and an acoustic guitar, and that to me is what did it. I had never seen that. So it was said that they were, during this performance, rapping solely over Wyclef's acoustic guitar, and that impressed Roughhouse, who had actually seen some success with Cypress Hill's debut album, and they were looking for more of the same. So when they were signed, they changed their name to one that was considered a derogatory way of speaking about people from Haiti. It was pretty clear at this stage a group were stars, despite the fact that the label executive said that they weren't. You know, Lauren was rapping with insane skill. Wyclef was a beautiful artist, and Praz was keeping time in the group. He had the pop ear. And Praz and Wyclef have production credit on almost all the songs off their debut album. They just became this self-contained unit at this point. You know, they kind of cut the fat off their group and, and became a, a true trio. But it wasn't smooth sailing. Like Wyclef and Lauren were in an affair during this. You know, Wyclef had a partner. And this is actually what Wyclef had to say about it. He says, it's going to be easy for people to read this and say, why did he do that to Lauren? How could he not go with her? He broke up the Fugees. I wish it were easy to explain away, but it's not. Claudette was with me when I had nothing, and she stood by me and helped me be the man that I've become, the man I wouldn't be without her. It's easy to listen to the music and hear the romance and love in there and think of what could have been. But the music is the best expression of my relationship with Lauren. The rest of it wasn't smooth at all. We were either deeply in love or fighting. There was no middle ground. It was a passionate roller coaster every single day. So, you know, I wanted to say that before we jump into the album because I think it gives a backstory to the the whole career and the output of the trio. So remember that like Praz was the multi-instrumentalist, you know, his music ability, and this is something that gets lost a lot in the conversation is Praz's contribution. His ability shines on every single Fuji song. You know, he was actually barred from listening to rap when he was younger and he sought out alternative rock. And we get such a diverse range of music from them. This makes sense. And we get this balance. We get this amazing balance. We get Lauren singing and rapping at a peerless level. Wyclef brings in a whole reggae influence, a whole different sound, whole different flow. And then Praz brings musical diversity. And apparently Praz was an incredible executive producer. He had a great ear for music. And we'll get to that when we talk about the score. And there's a story about uh, Fuji La in there that's amazing. And it was just a match made in heaven in the end. And yeah, man, we get blunted on reality, which Charlie has at least 50 times told me is a great album. So uh, I want to hear him describe <laughs> what it, why he thinks it's great. It's like 50 times. Hey, man, I'm hip-hop a numbers. I know this. I count this shit a up. A couple of times. <laughs> like a couple of times. It's, it's not It's not extended. I don't know, man. I just feel like th- this this album is never talked about. And, you know, I just I just feel like it deserves some sort of respect. Like, um, just off, like, some of these tracks alone, like, you, you're telling me, you, you, you lot are telling me Nappy Heads isn't, like, as good as something like Hip Hop Array in terms of like just absolute replayability and absolute hype. Like that that shit bangs, right? And then you get like Boof Baff, which, 
literally gives me the exact same vibes as like Buster Rhymes's Wooha. Like it's 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 literally like the same essence coming through, right? Um overall I just enjoy this album just because of the I guess the overall concept of it. I like the fact that you know, especially with these uh, particular, you know, all the interludes, especially the interludes, actually, um, that has these uh, just really uh, authentic uh, things going on in those particular interludes. Obviously, Blunted's like, you know, bunning up and then they just like go off on that particular track. Uh, freestyle, they have a little freestyle, you know, it's not great, but that's the point, right? I mean, it's, it's supposed to be just, uh, you know, freestyle with some, some uh, 20 science or however old they were. Um, Harlem Chit Chat, and especially like the kid from Haiti, which was so fascinating to me, listening to that for the first time and just going like, wow, that's that's real. Because, <laughs> like, man, like the, the, the amount of... Um, the amount of uh, uh, hate that comes from that co- that comes from like uh, uh, certain African American communities towards Haitians and how just uh, how Haitians are treated um, in uh, not just hip hop but just like you know films and TV shows. You see it a few times. You you, you don't see it often, but when you see it, uh, any mention of a Haitian, it's just like oh they're dirty, they're stuff like that. And I, I just didn't. I just enjoyed that. Uh, that side of it, and I guess that subversion of it, um, coming onto refugees on the mic. Um, but I don't know, man. I just, I just really like the energy of this of this album. I love the uh, the free the freeform nature of it. They all have just such really fucking good energy. Like you, you can't listen to this and not just like you know just jam out and just like nod your head constantly. But of 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 the of these uh, people going. Uh, just going hard on it um apart from maybe vocab that's that's probably and and you know technically uh shouts from the block which is literally just a nine minute shout out but uh, you know those those t- t- two tracks aside personally um i just i just really enjoy this album like uh, from a just from a replay replayability standpoint right you can bar exam it if you want it right if you want to go for it I choose not to, right? Because I just enjoy the energy of it. I enjoy the freeform nature of it. It's it's so, it, it's so free. It's it's just it's just free people just going off, right? Uh, uh, and that's and that's kind of what I enjoy of it about it. It's it's very it's very hip hop. It's very youthful. Um, and I just love the fact that um Lauren just comes off as like MC Light 2.0 on this, like in terms of just. How she how she uh, comes off in delivery. I don't know the fl- flows just comes off very MC lightish and uh, uh, and her and how she pronounces things. It's very it's very MC lightish, which is uh, mad fascinating. Now that we've obviously done a MC light retrospective, it just it just bleeds into her. So it's so fascinating. Um, and yeah, man, I just I I just think this album is just not even. Uh, I don't even know if people don't like it or not, but I just feel like it should be praised a lot more than it is. It's just like a really fun album to listen to. It's not the greatest album of all time, right? But the production's solid, you know, the the, the energy's solid. Like nobody's doing any, I don't know, problematic bars from from what I've heard. Uh, I haven't actually looked at, you know, I've done it lyric by lyric, you know what I mean? I haven't uh, <laughs> dissected or anything, but, uh, you know, it's I, I just enjoy it, man. I just enjoy it. It's an entirely repayable listen. Nappy Head Slaps. Even the remix, actually, uh, with Sal- Salam Remy's remix is so good. 
Hey, 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 hey. This is great, man. I just, I just love the youth of it. It's just so, it's so youthful. It's so free, uh, and it's just fresh. It, it's just super fresh. It comes. It, it's like. It, it it comes across as uh, it com I compare it to something like uh, something like tribes in instinctive uh, uh, instinctive travels. It's it's that it's got that freeness to it. It's got it's got that wavy energy. It's just like uh, um no, let's just let's just throw some bars out. You know what I mean? It's just uh, let's throw some decent production out there and see what happens. You know what I mean? It's just very I don't know. It's very free. I love it. Um yeah, I, I've said free like twenty times, so I'll just stop there. But yeah, it's great. I I just feel like People aren't talking about it as often as, you know, I'm not saying they should talk about it as much as the score, but, you know, mention it for fuck's sake. <laughs> I just I just feel it should be mentioned more. Yeah, I mean, you can mention it. Just say it's not as good as the score. <sighs> I'm just being it. I'm just being a douche. Because honestly, <laughs> the the only thing that the that Blunted on Reality suffers from is being the understudy to the score. I mean, the score is one of the greatest albums ever made. And sure. I think people just gravitate straight towards that and they listen to this and it's a little bit the same as what was going on at the time you know as you say Lawrence sounding a little bit like mc light uh you know we'd already had dealer we already had tribe we already had the roots so it wasn't like it was something you know entirely different as the score ended up being but it had a 63 review average and it didn't even chart in the u.s it was a very inauspicious start for them and the problem was a lot of it was plagued by label issues because Roughhouse and Fuji's were locked in this ridiculous battle that saw the album done. Then I think this is key. It saw the album was finished in 92, but it was not released until 94. Now, we said this on the uh, Warren G episode. That makes so much sense. Yeah, see, we said this on the Warren G episode. I'm sure we said it on another episode somewhere, but that two-year gap is yeah. massive. That's massive. Yeah. 92 to yeah. 94. Illmatic came out in 94, for fuck's sake. Like, come on, man. This is when shit had just taken a ginormous leap in hip-hop. The sound had changed dramatically in just two years. And albums were becoming outdated within six months. So to go two years is too long. It's too long. And the album, I feel like, suffers for that. They were guided by... And, and I say that to say that all of the elements that are on the score were in Blunted on Reality... But it was just, it was hazy. You couldn't see the vision as well. You know, they didn't have it locked down. And I, I truly feel if they just waited two years and re-recorded and like done things differently, then it probably would have been even better. And it probably would have been more, uh, what's the right way to say it? More relevant to the time. But I mean, we got what we got. They were guided by Cool and the Gang's uh, Carlos Bayan. And Blunted on Reality is, they're really exploring their sound and their image and, and their musical palette. But you know, it's hip-hop, but not in its most purest sense because early 90s was a time for hip-hop to spread well beyond the genre definition, you know, and this album is a testament to that. And we get a song like Blunted Interlude, which is, Interlude, which is you know, seven minutes and just bulk bars. You know, Praz tears that track down heavily. Uh, vocab, which has some alt-rock with lyrical dexterity, a lot of confidence. Booth bath, throwback beat, you know, throwback to like 92 and standard bars about just being really really good at rapping i find lauren's vocals on this album actually really fascinating it's interesting you say uh, mc light because on the score of miseducation to me she sounds calmer more assured and her tones are lower and less energetic it's almost like she was super super hungry on this project but 
she still was on subsequent projects, but I don't know. It's like she decided to trust herself after this project, whereas this project, she wasn't 100% sure if she was as good as she thought she was. And it was just like she was kind of trying to throw it in our face all the time. Whereas it's it's ironic that that's the feeling I got from this album because on the score, she did throw it in our face all the time, but I didn't feel like she was trying to do that. I think she, it just felt so natural. And I think for those used to her delivery on the score and miseducation, she sounds a little bit uh, a little bit different here. You know, as you say, a little bit more MC Light-like. And I just think this album suffered at the hands of the score because of the the lack of coherent sound and message. You know, it's a fun hip-hop album and there's no genre off the table, but there's no real desire to create something coherent and concept-like. And their energy reminds me so much of Busta Rhymes. You know, like they really throw themselves into every track. And I think Wyclef blossoms on here. He gives that, the record that reggae infusion that is steeped in authenticity and allowed the group another creative outlet to differentiate themselves. And, you know, you could hardly argue that the album isn't socially conscious. It definitely is. Like Wyclef said of the title, uh, and this is me quoting him, when the cop is messing around with somebody for something that the person didn't do and they try to set him up, that makes me blunted on reality. When the government is taking money on arms and that money could be going back to the community, it makes me blunted on reality. It's just awareness of what's going on. That's what blunted on reality means. Now, uh, the album has actually been heavily compared to Tricks of the Shade by the Goats, who were label mates of the Fugees. Um, you know, similar production, guitars, bass, heavy drums. And yeah, Roughhouse gave Fugees total creative control over their debut. And there's a lot of, there's, a, there's genuinely a lot of politics. There's a lot of social commentary. There's a lot of religion on here. Um you know, Lauren raps, hastily I pray thee that you make me see why thou has confronted me with such ambiguity. Are you Jehovah or Buddha or should I call you Allah? All due respect, Heavenly Father. Um, you know, her trademark curiosity and depth is is here on every single song. And I, it's just really interesting, you know. I, I don't understand why it was received so poorly. 63 review average is poor. Um I wonder if it was just that the production wasn't there, that they sounded too much like everyone else, you know, that they sounded a bit outdated. Um, you know, that flies now, of course, but that doesn't, that didn't, it didn't really work back then. You know, if you were going to sound like someone else, you had to improve upon that sound or you had to create something different or you had to add something to it or you had to do it better than had been previously done. And um, it reminds me a lot of Outkast's first album on which they they kind of adhered to a mm. an accepted sound already, if that makes sense. It's different to that's why mm. you know I I do understand the the people's instinctive travel uh like comparison, but to me I don't know. It felt like they were trying to do stuff that had already been done, and they were just trying to do it better or trying to put their spin on it. Whereas with the score, I think they really stepped out and did something completely different and. Yeah, that's just that's just the sound I got from that. But I just I don't understand why it was received poorly because this like we could say in in retrospect, well, it's the score that's why it was received so poorly. But the score hadn't been dropped when this came out, so like exactly. why they don't go back and go this is shit? No, yeah. so they're not thinking. Oh man, they they could do heaps better than this. So I don't understand yeah. the sixty three. Like it's not a bad album at all. I just don't get it. Yeah, um, I will say just the like expansion and like the. People's things travels uh, comparison. It was more just about the essence of it, not exactly like 
apples to apples comparisons. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, uh, yeah but yeah, it, it yeah. does come off uh, like the the two year gap. Like really, uh, I think at the time probably made it. Pro- that probably made a lot for the uh, the response towards it. Obviously, looking back at it now, in hindsight, it's like, you know, we just see it as 90s hip-hop, so we just, like, go, oh, it was great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you don't you don't look at, oh, no, oh, this came this came a year before this. It's like, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Like, just shit just blends together at some point, which is going to be mad fascinating looking back at what we hear now and seeing how all that blends together. But anyway, so but, this, but think um, about this, like, think, sorry to cut you off, but think about, like, we always shit on early 2010s hip-hop. Now imagine if Lupe <laughs> drops lasers in 2015. Like that's a whole different situation, right? He drops lasers instead of Tetsuo and Youth, and that's kind of what was happening in the nine, the early 90s. If if someone was dropping a 92 album in 95, 94, it sounds so out of place, you know. And I think that's yeah. you know we look back on it now and it, it doesn't matter 92, 94, yeah. but. When you think about the whole roots of that entire like tree that they've grown into, that began back then. And if it wasn't received well back then, people weren't listening to it. You know, people aren't gonna. Mm. If you drop the score and it's that good, people aren't just gonna be like, "Oh, we better go back and and double check that they haven't got any other cult classics." You're just gonna be like, "Well, we'll just listen to the score. Fuck it." And because it wasn't blunted on reality, wasn't received as well back then. It's just like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, it's not that good. So it just it's one of those things where people don't go back and listen and really think about it. They're just like, meh, it's not that great, so we're not going to listen to it. So I think that's the problem it suffers from. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the Warren G uh, mentioned as well as pertains to like just being held back a few years. I yeah. think really is very is very comparable and it's very parallel. Uh, I think the album was "Take a Look Over Your Shoulder." Uh, if I remember correctly, um, but yeah, uh, that was a good album as well. But it was just like behind; it, yeah. it just fell behind. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to do background on uh, the score, if you feel. Oh yeah, I can uh, give a bit of background on the score. So this is, um, yeah, man. Look, I'm gonna say if you're a certain age, I would wager that most of you heard a Fuji song before any other hip hop song. Like they were absolutely ubiquitous, uh, genuinely ubiquitous. From from not even charting on the Billboard 200 with their debut, the score went to number one, is seven times platinum. But the worldwide success is the key to this. The album went number one in nine fucking countries, nine countries, top five in seventeen countries. Seven times platinum in the US, but multi-platinum in five countries. It's one of the greatest, highest-selling albums of all time worldwide. It's diamond in France. It's platinum in 10 countries. It has an 89.5 review average. Best rap album, Grammy. 47 placements on uh, year-end lists or all-time lists. And <laughs> I wrote here... So the generous Chris Swartz decided to throw the Fugees a second chance despite the lack of success on their first album, which was very, very noble of him. Now, he gave them $135,000 to record it, and they used it to buy recording equipment so they could cut songs from Wyclef's uncle's basement. Now, Lauren called the album an audio film, saying it tells a story, and she called it the hip-hop version of Tommy by The Who, which was a rock opera, if anyone remembers Tommy. It was massive. It was a huge cinematic experience. The whole thing is a concept throughout the whole process, and it's just, it tells a story. Every song tells a story. Now, the producer list is fascinating. Lauren assumes a lot of creative control. She has production on 12 of the tracks, 
and the landscape and context must be acknowledged at the time. You know, this album dropped in 96, Reasonable Doubt, it was written. We had Tupac albums, Busta Rhymes, Dealer, Tribe, UGK, Outkast, The Roots, Snoop, Mob Deep. How do you set yourself apart from one of... This is one of the greatest years in hip-hop history. How do you set yourself apart? I'm just going to say it. It was Lauren that did it. You know, I dare anyone to find me a better performance on a record. Not just better bars, not just better content, better performance. Every single song on here was like a live performance with Lauren sitting in your living room, breaking it down bit by bit. And it's iconic how warm she manages to sound and yet stadium level epic she is at the same time. It's almost like you're at the sound check for a stadium show and you're the only person there and she's singing only to you. Now, Fuji La was actually meant to be a beat for Fat Joe. Can you imagine that, man? Salam Remy played it for Lauren God, Hill. what a safe. What Bro. a safe. Bro. What a safe. I mean, that's one of the great... Outstanding safe. Yeah, that's one of the great, <laughs> in, that's one of the great interceptions ever in Ooh, hip-hop history. Intercepted. Salam Remy played it for Lauren, and when Wyclef <laughs> heard it, he hopped on it immediately and rapped, we used to be Jeez. number 10, now we're permanent number one. And the, the track was done before they even had a budget for the album. That track was like Salam Remy laced them with that. Now, Salam Remy said the album is based around that track. He said how Lauren actually took seven full days to finally deliver a verse she was happy with. Like she just went back in and recorded and recorded and recorded and over and over again. Perfectionist. And another crazy story, this is a prior story. Surprise so calls Salam Remy and says, we are doing Killing Me Softly. How would you approach it? And Remy says... Do it like Benita Applebaum. And Praz says, I was thinking the same thing. Bang. And then we get Killing Me Softly. Ah, it's just like, Remy said that Wyclef was eclectic. Lauren was like a jukebox who knew every soul song imaginable. And Praz had his pop ear. He was the executive producer and he knew how to, to push a song in, and an album into the pop space. Um, now, the words from Joe Nicolo who is a co-president of Rough House, I'll read them out because I, I found this interesting. The Fugees were finally focused on being this hybrid pop rap group that they were formulating when they were first making their, rec- their first record. Believe it or not, after they made the first album, Sony was not that interested in recording another Fugees record. At the time, we did about 119,000 copies of Blended on Reality, which of course today is quite good. But they were like, you guys don't want to make another Fuji record, do you? And we were like, we definitely want to make another Fugees record. At the very end of that project, they were finally figuring out, figuring out their voice and their positions in the Fugees. It manifested as what became the score, which was definitely one of the top hip-hop records of all time. Now, it's that pop-rap hybrid that fascinates me. I don't see any pop in this. Like, I just see Facts. them as hip-hop, soul, or R&B. Where's the pop? I don't Facts. get the pop. So... What Joe said next really confirmed that and showed to me just how little knowledge that was around about this kind of music back then. If you listen to the song, it start. this is Joe, by the way, saying again. If you listen to the song, it starts with Lauren singing amazingly. Then on the second verse, everything drops out and there's just this beat with nothing underneath it. I was concerned because from a record company A&R standpoint, I was like, Clef, you can't just drop everything out and leave Lauren with the beat. You're losing the energy of the song. You have to bring the bass in or something under Lauren or else you're going to lose our energy. Clef said, no, I try to be persistent and he wouldn't budge on that idea. He said, it's her and the beat. It has to be that way. Obviously he was right. Now this is just like, like what, what are they talking about? 
what are they talking about? Like that's soul, that's soul music, that's R&B music. I don't get it. And that's the thing, like this album could have been, it's almost like the fact that Blunder on Reality didn't do that well was the reason why we got such a great performance on the score because no one was in their ear being like, okay, you have to redo this or you have to do it this way or you have to do it that. They were kind of like, here's a little bit of money. We see a little bit of talent. Go away and do something amazing and come back to us with a fully finished product. You know, there was no one in there trying, like Wyclef's just like, no, 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 we're not doing it that way. And there was no, you know, there was no uh, contracts that were binding that made them have to sound a certain way or look a certain way. It was kind of like they were a bit neglected by the label and they were given the opportunity to do whatever they want. And so what we got was not a pop rap hybrid. We got a hip hop R&B soul hybrid which is exactly what happened on Miseducation. Now, I don't think anyone's going to go ahead and call Miseducation a pop-rap hybrid. So I don't think this is ever a pop-rap hybrid. You know, it just went, it was just popular. And, you know, I just, I thought that that was interesting. I'll talk about the, the relationship in a second, but um, I just thought that that whole background was interesting because, yeah, man, it's just like, they just leveled up so crazy. And it wasn't, as I say, you know, Salam Remy was involved. And he, he hooked him up with Fujila, but like aside from that, it was the trio. It was just the trio who came up with this whole thing. And it's one of the greatest selling albums in history, and it's one of the greatest albums in history, period. Yeah, I I I, I just find that uh that gap between these two projects so fascinating and just how this how this project even like got to the level it got to commercially like i'm not saying right that every uh uh what what am i trying to say i I, i'm just i'm not saying i'm like surprised that this you know i'm happy right that this got the recognition it deserves because there is a there are a lot of albums that we have mentioned over you know the past two years that you know are just absolutely outstanding in their own work own way and just never get that commercial slap uh, in for whatever reason, right? Or, may, or maybe it does lay it down the line or just gets that cult status. This just, I, d- I just don't, I, I can't fathom how like the, the, this, this album just rocketed. And I, and I don't really want to question it. Like, I, I don't really care because it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth every single fucking, every single platinum plaque, whatever. Like it's, 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 it's so worthy. And it's so it's rare to see that it's rare to see an album of this um, of three people just at their you know creative peaks. Let's be real, um, yeah, literally at their creative peaks in a lot of ways, or reaching that creative peak, um, and just knocking this out of the freaking park. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I just don't understand how how uh, how they all managed to just like. Uh, home run it like from back to back to back like everything on this album is absolutely outstanding um you know sprinkled obviously with the uh with the knowable tracks right but the deeper cuts are so quality they're so quality like the score with diamond d clean uh outsiders on cowboys clean which i've just discovered that um Ra digger was in that uh, yeah, I, yeah. I just look. I, I just looked cool. up. Didn't even. Yeah. Didn't even know. Didn't even know who was part of uh, Outsiders. But yeah, shout out to Um Obviously, no woman, no cry. Re uh, re up. That's great. I I just. 
the mask even the mask i really enjoy actually as a, as a deep cut i just love everything about this album um it's just i, I just i can't i can't fathom how worthy this is like of just every uh every plaudit this has gotten like it, it's gotten that and more so and it just makes me happy thinking about this album and how great it is and it, finally it's just one of those it's just one of those albums that found it that was able to keep that creative integrity and you know not be pop in any way that from what some people say apparently right and still get the numbers i love it it just fills me up with such joy um one particular track i like to mention because it just I, I love and it, and this this will tee you up very nicely actually because um, uh, I I don't have much more to say about it. I can I can talk about every track on the sound if you want to but um, <laughs> I want to I want to tee you up for however you're gonna uh, get into get onto your uh, continued background with uh, a couple of bars from Zealots um, which is just great in a lot of ways um, and well you you'll get when I you'll get when I when I say it. so this is verse three is Wycliffe. Uh, Wycliffe Jean, right? <clears throat> so he goes, uh, You can try, but you can't divide the tribe. These cats can't rap. Mr. Author, I feel no vibe. The magazine says the girl should have went solo. <laughs> the guy should stop rapping. Vanish like Menudo. Took it to heart, but every actor plays his part. As long as someone was listening, I knew it was a start. I just love the the future telling, the, the fortune telling. Yeah. <laughs> Wycliffe drops. <laughs> I bet that whoever wrote that bit, whoever whoever got him to say those bars, must be feeling fucking good. Like, just imagine that. There's the, f- oh my gosh. So they they got they got uh they they got sub subliminaled on one of the best sounds of all time, and actually came out to be correct a mm-hmm. few years later. <laughs> literally, literally a couple years later. That is just so epic to me. Um, uh, whoever that person is. Pat yourself on the back because that's just some epic fortune telling, uh, and yeah, man, I just passed that. Um, that's, that was just something I noticed while listening today. I just found it very funny. Um, but yeah, man, uh, that that Salam Remy, oh, <laughs> that Fuji La production is like one of my favorite beats of all time. I swear, man, it's just I don't know what it is about it. It's just so like dingy, but also just. Oh, just badass man i fucking love it like the, the the confidence that that beat gives me personally i don't know it just makes you feel badass I, I don't know why it's just it's just great just puffs up your chest real nice just just sticks a sticks a sticks a sticks a football pump in like your chest and goes it's great makes you makes you makes you feel good uh walking walking up but anyway albums i can't i can't praise this album enough you know what i found really interesting so i ran a little i looked at a few numbers here now killing me softly didn't even chart in the US. It was number one in 25 countries, but not the wow. US. Didn't even chart on the Hot 100 in the US. That's crazy to me. Like, I, you know, uh, Ready or Not didn't chart in the US. What the fuck? I don't understand. Fuji La only went 29 on the Hot 100. Like, this is the thing I don't get about this album is the, is the international success versus... Because, I, I, look, I fully understand that there's an international group, but, like... Uh, Killing Me Softly is going number one in like Australia and New Zealand in what ninety six. I don't understand that. It's just, that's why I say like if you're of a certain age, you probably heard a Fuji song, and that was probably me not being North American because maybe it wasn't as ubiquitous in North America. But if you were anywhere else in the world, 
they were pumping these songs out like crazy. Now, yeah, I mean, the it's interesting that that song and that all the quotes and everything that came around this because, you know, Wycliffe and Lauren were involved in a romantic relationship and it wasn't easy. And Praz said that they were very secretive about it, but that they were telltale signs. Questlove said something about Lauren, and I'm going to direct quote him because I, <laughs> anyway, I'll direct quote him. So he says, her solo career wasn't based on I want to do an album. It was based on not being Wyclef's side girl. That was that was Questlove's words. Uh, the issue mm. was, of course, Wyclef was in a relationship at the time and the turmoil around this was epic. You know, Pryor said that when Lauren Hill became pregnant, no one was sure whose baby it was and Wyclef actually threw out to be by her side, flew out, sorry, to be by her side when she went into labor. But Lauren said the baby was actually from her partner, Marley. Um, which is, you know, hence the name, Zion Marley. And all of this created intrigue and mystique around this record. And I think it contributed heavily to the Lauren rinses everyone rhetoric because Wyclef was always seen as the musical muscle behind the group. And in our Lauren retrospective, we spoke heavily about her decision to leave the group and create something of her own. And a score afforded her the ability to do that because she proved beyond any doubt that she could carry a project alone comfortably. You know, what Rolling Stone did this expose and they quoted a source who said that Lauren fought, the reason why Lauren fought so hard to be the only credit on miseducation was to set herself apart from the Fugees. Now, I think what that meant for the score is we got three artists at their absolute peak trying to create their best possible project. Now, Lauren was trying to wash Wyclef, Wyclef was trying to wash Lauren, and Prowls was just trying to keep it all together. It could have been an absolute fucking mess, but it came out perfect. It reminds me a lot of Fleetwood Mac. You know, Fleetwood Mac had some really intense infighting and relationships and all sorts of things going on. But, you know, they created incredible music despite that. So I found that really, I found that interesting, man. I found that interesting. Like it was a, it was a difficult project. The fact that there was so much around this project and it still came out the way it did. Ugh. But it's, it's such a hip-hop album too. You know, it's such a hip-hop album. You put it on, you can put it on after the infamous and you'll be like, this. <laughs> but you can, yeah. you can. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, Lauren shot, pops yeah. in and sings like crazy and you're like, and it elevates it. But you could, I've done this before. I've just put it on after the infamous and just been like, actually, this is, this is fitting. Like this is still going. Like it's, you know, so I, it's just a, it's such a fascinating album, man. It's got to be one of the greatest albums ever made, surely. Oh yeah, um, and a minor shout out to the uh, the the remixes of Fujila on uh, the expanded edition, which is great. And one minor correction: I said Praz was going for pres- uh, president or just did politics in Haiti. Hey, uh, that was Wycliffe. Yeah, Wycliffe. He went. Uh, he he did a presidential campaign in 2010. Fun fact: He is a f- he was or yeah or is I don't know. Uh, don't know if he is still, but a big fan of Sarah Palin, uh, which okay. is. Interesting politically, um, but yeah, I just wanted to correct myself on that earlier. But yeah, man, um, you know, finishing up, I just, uh, I, I, I just, I don't know what it is about like these two albums and just how they um, exist, uh, how how the, how I see them now. Uh, in in retrospect, obviously, and in just like you know historical context, because at that time it comes off as just like 
Uh, one album was just a little bit behind the game for the obvious reason of label issues, like we said. And then the other one was literally the complete opposite. It was like a perfect storm in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe there was like a, you know, a quote-unquote reality TV element to it. Maybe, right? But I I, I remember listening to Fuji Law on like as a youth in the car. My dad, he was a spin in that shit. He had, he had a bunch of remixes. Like there was one, I can't find it for the life of me. I forget which one it is. I'm not sure. It might be it might be one of the one of the ones in expanded mix. I might listen when I when we get off. But uh, there was one, there was one remix that was so freaking good. I think it was like a drum and bass jungle remix um, that that my pops had the Fuji La, and it was just and Lauren just oh, her voice is so good on that particular B wherever that was. I'm gonna find that one day. But yeah, it's um I I remember that I I can imagine that international appeal. I I I thinking back now, I can genuinely feel it. Um, and, you know, like I said at the start, I kind of wish there was at least one more album out of this, <clears throat> but for obvious reasons, um, I, yeah, obviously couldn't have gone on, right, it's just, there's just too much, there is such thing as just too much going on, you know what I mean, in, in a lot of ways, um, but, you know, we got miseducation out of it, and that's, you know, obviously, like I've, I've said before, you know, top five all time, regardless of genre for me, so, you know, I can't complain, um, but, yeah, it's um, it's 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 an interesting it's it's an interesting uh career arc, um just for just for the three of them as a unit, um it's probably one of the most fascinating ones in terms of just how they like started off so middling and then just poof, just <laughs> literally skyrocketed. I uh, uh oh well, I was gonna say Dogecoin, but that plummeted yesterday, so can't say that comparison, can we? But mm-hmm. anyway. Little, little dig to the Dogecoin, little little, <laughs> little dig to the Dogecoin people, to the moon apparently. Um, anyway, but um, yeah, man, I I just I just find this group just in a vacuum very fascinating. Um, in terms of just how in terms of just their music and the the clear the clear roots they have in uh, Haitian and just reggae elements and the hip hop elements to it the energy they have in different ways actually compared to the two albums like the the you know i mentioned buster in the first in the fir- for in reference to the first album but you know it, it really does give paul righteous teachers vibes obviously uh, mm-hmm. uh buster mm-hmm. rhymes is a uh, first group um, initial group before he came out himself but um yeah it, it has that raw energy and then like the second the score has the raw energy still but it's like i don't know like it's focused. It's it's like it's like a laser beam. It's like focused light. It's like it's just they just yeah they just lasered in right there and just like uh uh, uh and just rehoned in like everything they're good at and just turned it up to ten. Um. So yeah, man. I I love this in in a vacuum. I love this group. Like um, all the side stuff aside and just with the music. I I it's one of my favorite groups of all time. Um. I, I like I said, I wish there was more to be honest, but you know, it is what it is. Um, I'm happy with a, cl- <laughs> I'm happy with a classic and a subjective replayable classic for me. That's how I, uh, that's how that's how I uh, class <laughs> plant reality, with with many 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 uh, layers to the <laughs> to the word classic over it. Mm. <laughs> but but it is, it is what it is. I fucking enjoy it. Uh, so yeah, man. Shout out to the Fugees. It's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, the breakup, like, I just wanted 
talk about that quickly because it's wild. Go so for it. yeah, yeah. The conversation around the solo albums they all dropped after the score was that that was the official breakup. Wyclef's a carnival, Praz's ghetto superstar, Lauren's miseducation. I think Lost One probably put some nails in the coffin. Praz said that when Wyclef heard that him I mean, when Wyclef heard it, that's what Pryor said and immediately thought she was speaking about him. But Pryor actually says that they did not break up until the early 2000s. So, you know, Wyclef's version of offense is this. Wyclef says, it was like we were two outlaws in love. We had fights on planes. We had huge fights. And a few times when I went down, she started swinging at me right there at the seats. People would scatter. We never got arrested, but we came close a few times in Europe. Wyclef said that that was what caused the breakup of the Fugees. That's Wyclef's version. Lauren's version, we know that from our previous retrospective. She wanted to strike out on her own, with her own freedom, her own creative control to create something individual and freeing. She said in 2004, the Fugees was a conspiracy to control, to manipulate, and to encourage dependence. I took a lot of abuse that many people would not have taken in these circumstances. As a young woman, I saw the best in everyone, but I did not see the lust and insecurities of men. I discovered what a lie was and how lies manifested themselves. Praz tells an entirely different story. So whilst he played Peacemaker for a long time, he claims the, the group didn't actually break up till the mid-2000s. He says, To be honest with you, the Fugees didn't break up when everybody thought that they broke up. The group didn't really break up until 2004 or 2005. Even though we didn't make any new records, the group technically was together. It wasn't like, okay, we're not together. It was like, we did that to get a break. And he says, ego is a motherfucker. Now, Praz tells a story to Billboard in 2014. He says, the group had disbanded. Hill, Lauren Hill had left the group at this point, and we didn't know what we were going to do. She calls me and says, listen, I'm going to come down to the studio, and I'm going to lay a reference for you guys, a hook. I give you permission to use my hook and my voice, but I don't want to be a part of this group anymore. Make sure certain people are not around when I'm there. I said, no problem. She's laying the reference for ready or not. And then she goes into the bridge and she's crying. I see her crying. She stops and says, I can't do this anymore. And she leaves. Ready or not is on the score. So this is like, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is not, this is like, even the score was tortured in making. It was a really hard thing to make. Um, and, you know, on even on the, the, the score itself, like on Manifest Outro, like Lauren says, you see, I loved hard once, but the love wasn't returned. I found out the man I'd die for, he wasn't even concerned. Diamonds deserve diamonds, but he convinced me I was worth less. I was God's best contemplating death with a Gillette, but no man is ever worth the paradise manifest. And that's, you know, then Praz and Wyclef got into it as well. Like, Praz was trying to play Peacemaker, but he eventually, he actually said explicitly, Wyclef was the cancer of the Fugees. And he doubled down on that by saying, you can quote me. He's the reason why it got wrecked to begin with. He's the reason why it's not fixed. Bro, this is just, it's such a mess, man. There's so many factors at play. An Uprox article actually gave like 20 reasons why they were broken up, 15 reasons and went through the whole thing. And there's lots of rumors about Lauren and her behavior, which, you know, some say culminated in her criticizing the Christian church during a performance at the Vatican. But Pra's words probably ring true. You know, the Fugees performed at the 04 recording of Dave Chappelle's epic and underrated block party. And then that turned into a European tour in 2005. But Praz was evidently over this whole peacemaking thing by 05 because he said into that, again, now Praz is at Lauren. He says, before I work with Lauren Hill again, 
you have a better chance of seeing Osama bin Laden and George W. Bush in Starbucks having a latte discussing foreign policies. Bro, this just, it's its so messy. I've never seen anything this messy. I've never, like, you know when you get into a situation in life and maybe with a partner or whatever, a friend or something, and it just gets so far out of control and so messy and there's so many other people involved and there's hurt feelings and there's words been said and you're just like, there is literally no way we can unpick this knot. It is too tangled. We just have to go our separate ways. And it's pretty clear that they they just kept tangling and tangling and getting bigger and, and worse as, as time progressed. And, you know, it kind of ended on some tabloid shit. And, uh, you know, the, the Fugees, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to, I'm not going to end on that at all. But the Fugees are way more than their breakup. That's, to me, that's a little bit of drama on the site. They changed the game entirely. There's a reason why there aren't many follow-ups and copycats. I don't think there's any. Because you cannot copy what they did. Lauren and Wyclef were too good and Praz was too savvy. There's no one anyone could compete with such a talented trio. It's hard to call them the greatest group in hip-hop history because they only have one classic album. Boy, it's impossible to know if they could ever create something close to that level again. But Lauren did it with miseducation. And I don't even think it matters. I think they did it. They achieved it. You know, it's there for us forever and it will never be topped. And I think, you know, it's just like, I don't know how to describe them except to say that, are they a moment or were they a movement? You know what I mean? Like, was was the score just a moment in time or was it, I don't know. I don't know. Because it was all around the same time. Like, Wyclef's obviously had great projects and great songs since, but 96, 98, those were the two years that the Fugees just created, like, peerless art and yeah i don't know maybe they could never do it again maybe they could and they just didn't feel like i don't know but um i think there's a reason why we don't see any fuji's clones because it's just not possible people have probably tried but i don't i don't see how you could possibly create what they created with the score again it's just it's too good it's too good yeah honestly um i think uh answering your question of like whether it was a movement or not i think moment or movement i'd i'd say moment just like as the group itself um how like i said i consider the score like a perfect storm of a lot of things um for for us obviously because clearly there was a lot of uh uh, turmoil um in it but um and and it came out as uh you know just a supreme piece of work so you know i guess take what you will from that um, but yeah, we shall leave it there. Um, I felt like I uh, jumped the gun on on finishing with final thoughts, but uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's just fun. I I enjoy this one. It's um, it's a it's a fascinating story on a lot of sides, and the the hearsay is just pfft, Jesus. Like, so much hearsay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's cr- Oh, like that's yeah. a that's a, that's a dizzying amount of hearsay, you know. What I mean, it's just uh, ugh, ugh. I hate, I hate I hate relationships like that, man. Where like people have different, like completely different uh, retellings of stories, and I'm just like, ugh, why, 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 why you make people do this, like, and having to take sides? Because that's basically what you're doing, isn't it? Like they make whether they mean it or not, it's just like you force people to take sides on that when you do that kind of stuff, but. Anyway, as long as, as as long as you guys ain't in that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? But you have to get to that point, we're good. Don't worry, we don't need that kind of energy in our lives. But no, anyway. not at all. <laughs>
lessons for life. And we'll leave it there and head on straight to Lionel. If you have anything, Ben, how's the weed? Ah, so yeah, I took it the other day and I took it on, I think it was Saturday. And I took it at at like three and um, (laughs) nothing, nothing whatsoever until I took my, my normal psych meds. And then I went mad loopy and not loopy in a good way. Like I had mad head spins. I got really nauseous. I was shaking and um, it's not good. It's not good. So I'm going to have to stop it. It's just not working for me, which is really disappointing because so many people have said that it works for them. But um, I just don't think it goes well with Seracol. Seracol is like an industrial adhesive. It's not something you want to be consuming. Okay. It's not okay. It's not something you want to put in your body. And I think it just fucks with everything. Like genuinely, like I've had problems with Seracol with every organ except my skin at this point. Genuinely, every organ I've had to go into hospital for because of Seracol uh it's not good for you it's not good for you but it's incredibly effective it is incredibly effective like i i suffer i'm suffering heavily the last five months have been like a real like awful period for me so the worst period i've ever gone through psychologically and without seracol i would i would be in in pretty dire straits so it's a bit disappointing but um i don't know charlie i got mad excited when we were talking about it last week and uh, you know what? I did get the munchies. I certainly did get the munchies. It just ma- it makes even simple food <laughs> taste better. Like I was just uh-huh. eating cereal, plain cereal. I'm like, this is this is slapping right now. This is really <laughs> this is a top tier meal, and it was just cereal out of a bowl. So you know, yeah. I would I, I can confirm that man. Like yeah. if I had a decent meal, I'm sure it would have it would have been amazing. Yeah, but yeah, it's a disappointment. Yeah. Oh well, well. On to, on to the next one, I guess. But I'll at, least you, at least you got to experience the munchies. Got that. I think I'll try heroin next and see how that goes, and okay. I'll report back. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm joking. I'm joking. Don't take heroin. Do not try heroin. It's, I've never tried it personally, but I know some people who have. It's not a pleasant experience, so do not take heroin. I saw a, I saw a, I saw a fact uh, recently. It said, like... Uh, like four percent of people can't metabolize heroin. I was just like, imagine not be being able to just like, like I, I don't know. That just sounds that sounds not good. <laughs> just, what happens imagine if you being don't one of those like four percent? Yeah. What happens if yeah. you don't metabolize it? I don't know, but I, I I only know about metabolizing in terms of like you know how much people can eat and not like actually gain weight. So I don't know. Does that mean they don't lose weight? Because obviously heroin's one of those things where like trains the fuck out of you don't it so i don't know I don't yeah know. I, don't know. I just found it fascinating i have no idea what the actual like ins and outs of that is in terms of what that means but i just found it interesting um my line note is that i have uh vinyl shelves now oh, i have, like you these, did it i i got some yeah I, I just bought some um 3d printing stuff online and it's just these little uh yeah it's these little uh, things that you can put your vinyl on uh, get some like uh, strips, stick them on the wall, plant them on. I left it for about uh, 20 hours or whatever. Um, yeah, and I just put. Uh, I've started off with a uh, grey area, Commons B, and Nas's uh, Illmatic Life in the Kennedy Center on there. So uh, that's my that's the first three I'm looking at right now. I do have three more. Uh, I'm just wondering where to put them, um, but. Yeah, once I do that, there'll be three more on the wall somewhere in my room. But yeah, man, it's cool. And also got a webcam, which is great. Because 720p webcams on laptops suck. Yeah, they're bad. 
they're really bad. They're not. Um, they're not. I don't acceptable. get it. I don't I, get it. I paid fifteen hundred dollars for my laptop, man. Give me a fucking decent webcam. Like you in buy it, a decent like, webcam for like fifty bucks. Like just put a good webcam on there. So that hard. In it, like that's it's not even that. It's like the these companies are so good at doing cameras on other shit. Like I have oh, a Samsung lab. I have a Samsung laptop. You can, you're telling me you can't put a decent ten eighty p camera on your laptop? Is that what you're telling me? I'm not saying put take mine from the Galaxy Ultra. <laughs> Galaxy Twenty One Ultra to you know straight to the laptop, but you know comparable maybe I don't know. It's just like every every one of them has a shit same shitty Seven Twenty P camera. It's just like it doesn't make sense. Like is there a is there a, 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 a I don't know behind the scenes thing going on? I, I'm not sure because like there are there are some places in the world where like lobbying has taken it to a point where like the products are just demonstrably worse. Just because the co- the companies around them don't want them to be better or anything like that, like uh, they they used to do that with lights apparently, which I found fascinating recently. Like uh, light companies from back in the day, like purposely made their light shit. Like they could have made it better, but they just made it shit. And I just feel like it's like that mu- it must be something of that nature to hear because you can't tell me that <laughs> you can't tell me that. 720p cameras is the best you lot can do as it pertains to laptops. You have all these big ass screens, 4K panels, OLED, WQHD, and 720p webcams. Are you are you taking a piss? All right, th- thank you for coming to my TED talk. I don't know why I'm talking about webcams so much, but fuck. You're very passionate <laughs> about webcams, Charlie. It's infectious. Hey, now man, I'm, I'm, I want to take the cause up. Uh, let me get a change.org article because that's where it belongs. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's finish up there. Yeah, Sh- shots fired to tra- change.org. There you go. That's what I'm. That's what I'm about. Uh, anyway, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth M podcast, now it's been digging digits. I've enjoyed this episode. I have a child to say all the Fifth M. I've been Ben Carter for numbers. We hope you all have a good week. We actually always try and do the same. 5pm podcast number 5 dropping next month and until the next time take it easy ladies and gentlemen alright peace Digging In Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter the show is edited by me music for the show is piece of video games by bonus points thanks to trail breakers for the ability to use Socials with Fulfillment, hit by buying numbers, bonus points, and chill records will be in the full show notes wherever you're listening. This has been a Fifth Fin Podcast Network production. Thanks for spending time with us. We shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits. <laughs>